0: Powered by the number one REMAX real estate company in the world, Gold Nation. The Juggernaut podcast is dedicated to helping real estate professionals and beyond become an unstoppable force. A Juggernaut. We believe when the real estate professional thrives, everybody wins. Release the third Wednesday of every month. Each episode will leave you inspired, energized, and ready to be unstoppable. Want to learn more about the Juggernaut Podcast? Go to www.juggernautpodcast.com. Here's your hosts, Stephanie Flood and Anthony James.
1: Hello and welcome back to the Juggernaut Podcast. This is Anthony James and I am joined today, of course, with my host, Stephanie. How are you today, Stephanie?
2: I am great, Anthony. Looking forward to today's episode.
1: I am as well. This is going to maybe be our best episode ever. And I, and I genuinely mean that. I'm very excited for our special guest today uh, to help deliver a message of hope and to inspire and motivate our audience as the market has shifted and changed and there's some uncertainty and maybe even a little bit of fear out there. I assure you, listen to today's episode all the way through and I'm, I'm thinking people are going to leave pretty inspired. What do you think, Stephanie?
2: I definitely think so. Just in reading about our guest today, I was moved and very inspired. So very much looking forward to hearing from him directly. So let's share who our guest is. Let's get right to it. So we have Robert Payler joining us today. And I'm not going to tell you all very much about Robert. I'm going to give you a little bit because I want Robert to tell you. So here's what I will share. He attended Jesuit high school here in the Sacramento area and went to Cal Berkeley and played rugby. And Robert, I'm going to let you kind of go from there. Give us a little bit about your ties to Northern California and rugby and University of California. And I I know our audience is going to have questions and I know that we will too. So we'll jump back in.
3: Yeah, absolutely. That sounds perfect. Well, first, thanks so much, Anthony and Stephanie, for having me here today. And Anthony, I got to say, you know, I usually get the advice of under promise and over-delivered so best episode ever we got we're going we're going over-promised over-delivered we're we're doing it you got it we can certainly do that through that today um but yeah so so excited to share my story and um you know like like stephanie said i'm a northern california native just in the sacramento valley here and and growing up it was pretty much hot summers and sports um that was my life was to, to be an athlete um I remember, you know, growing up early on, kind of playing the traditional big three sports of America, you know, football, basketball, baseball, and I really enjoyed it. And um, eventually went over to Jesuit High School, just over in Sacramento. You know, it's a competitive school. Got a lot of good athletes out there. And um, I came and I played football, I played basketball. And by the end of that, I was just kind of hyped And um, in my athletic background, um, it was no secret that, my my greatest talent was hitting people. I mean, it was it was <laughs> contact. It was it was physicality. I I thrived at it. So football was definitely my focus. And as it was kind of, kind of coming around to basketball season, my JV year, I, I was um, I was playing center. And in the year above me, there's a guy six foot ten. Other guy was six They both went on to play D one uh, basketball in college. And here I was, just immediately 6'5", six five, kind of looking around, thinking, "Oh boy, you know." Me just putting put my elbows out and <laughs> running hard might, might not cut this, even if I make this team, um, you know, I'm optimistic, but I'm also realistic, and I, I don't want to be right in time for this, and um, it was kind of when I was having those thoughts and discussions that a lot of my friends said, hey, Robert, come out and come try rugby, and I, I barely even knew what the sport was at the time, I was like, oh, is that, like, is that the lunatics over there who, you know, they're hitting each other without any pads. <laughs> and they're, uh, you know, yes, it is without pads. But, you know, we're not, we're not lunatics. This is, a, this is a really fun game. And, uh, you know, you, you're, you're a good physical player. You're a good athlete, Robert. Uh, we got a competitive team. I think at the time, Jesuit High School had had eight national championships. Um, now I think they're kind of around to the 10 or 11 point, which is more national championships than any American high school program. Um, it was really attractive to be a part of a culture like that. And, you know, you could, you could very well also find yourself going to compete at a good D1 school, maybe even Cal. I was thinking, okay, Cal, this is a school that I have wanted to go to basically my whole life. And it seems like a pretty good end to do it. So I decided not to play basketball that year and, uh, focused on football and rugby. And I just found all this passion and purpose and identity in playing rugby um it's a tough sport it's 80 minutes of continuous full contact um sporting events against um great players and great teams we had folks coming in from new zealand australia and canada and england all to come play us over in sacramento um i felt like i was a part of something bigger than myself I love that, and my first year playing, I got MVP of the JV team. I got called up for our national championship tournament, which we did win that year. Um, my junior and my senior year, I was a consistent starter, senior being the captain of the varsity team and MVP as well. I mean, I, I was finding something that I was really good at and uh, something that I took a lot of pride in, and it eventually afforded me the opportunity to go play rugby at Cal over at uc berkeley um for context of the success of the cal rugby program at the time they had uh 29 national championships and i think the only program at any sport any level that has more success than that is the harlem Globetrotters, <laughs> and their games are rigged so they <laughs> were doing pretty well and uh it was a it was a real honor to be um to be recruited to play on that team to be accepted to play on that team. Um, my freshman year, I was I was putting in some work and kind of, you know, starting up and really having to prove myself, kind of starting on the bottom of the totem pole there um, and building up some merit in how I play. And uh, I put in a lot of work in the offseason and the weight room um, because I wanted to start, you know, I, I wanted to play and I wanted to contribute on the field. And uh, by my sophomore year, I had earned a starting spot for the number one rank team in the nation which is no easy or common thing to do um but in my, at that point in my life i mean everything was going for me i was starting on the rugby team i was um, on my way to, to earning acceptance into the high school of business um and my personal life uh, my relationships were great um i had an internship lined up with I mean, everything was just going my way and i i knew that and i thank god every day for it um so that's kind of that's kind of my my background that's how i got to Cal and, that's playing rugby.
1: That's amazing. What uh what an inspiring, you know, kind of story of success up until that point in your life. And so here you are, sophomore year. Is that right? Sophomore year playing uh mm-hmm. at the highest level in a sport that you didn't even know just a few years ago that you'd be playing. So that <laughs> in and of itself is quite the accomplishment um but everything changes in a moment so let's kind of let's kind of go right there Robert in the story and so let's let's go to 2017 i think you're at the mm-hmm. national championship game and mm-hmm. uh, and an accident happens
3: yeah so the day was may 6th of 2017 and you know it's funny how the same day has different meaning for different people um you know for some people may 6th is their birthday or its uh, anniversary and um For me, it it has a very different meaning. Um, But I woke up thinking it was going to be the best day of my life. We were competing in the Collegiate Rugby National Championship uh, versus Arkansas State on that day. We were fighting for our 31st national championship. Um, I, I don't think Arkansas State has ever won a national championship. So in the prestige of our programs, we were certainly on the side that you want to be on. Um, but I just remember thinking this was going to be a real day of legacy for me because when you're, when you win a national championship, you're not just a national champion for that day. I mean, you are a national champion for life. That's something that you bring your family back to, you know, back to your school and you show them the banners on the wall and you, you tell these stories of how much it meant to you and what it was like to win that game. And, you know, you put it on your LinkedIn, you put it on your resume. Basically. You were on the team that was the best in the nation at that one thing. I wanted it badly. I mean, I, I just I dreamed about it. I prayed about it, and um, it was finally there. All that anticipation I had, goals and dreams from being a very young athlete just playing t-ball to now being a Division One athlete competing in a national championship. I was extremely excited, and um, we had a good game plan. You know, we were very, we were very calm and collected. We weren't doing a lot of, you know, yelling and chanting stuff in the locker room. And we knew their strengths and what to look out for. We knew their weaknesses and how to exploit them. And um, I remember, you know, just sitting there in that locker room with my teammates, and you can just feel that intensity in the room. I'm sure all the listeners out there who who also competed in athletics can just remember that pregame environment and we all stood up and walked out the single foul line to have a pregame one up and we are just firing on all cylinders talking about how we're going to beat the team and bring home the trophy and um, you know it's you know, eventually we do the coin toss and we won the coin toss we elected to uh, kick the ball off which you know we kind of wanted to hit him first you know make that statement and we all line up and the referee raises his arm, blows his whistle, and I'm sprinting down the field. I mean, it's, just, it's national championship at the time. I'm thinking, let's go, Robert. Give it everything you've got. And it was about a minute and a half into the game that we were competing in a mall. And for those listeners who don't know the terms of rugby, a mall is when the bigger guys group together in a single unit, and we push as a single unit to advance the ball forward. The defense's job is to come straight in and stop us and our forward momentum. And it's the boiler room. I mean, it's the big guy's ride. And I was a big guy. Um, I I five, about 240 pounds. I, mean, I was put on this earth to move people, just moving people that don't want to be moved. And we're just five meters out from scoring this thing, and I'm practically drooling here on the field thing. while still still and this thing in. And as I'm doing this, the opposing players, they start making these illegal moves and the referee's not calling anything. So first, a player enters in from the side. Uh, This is an infraction in rugby, something they're not allowed to do in these malls. Um, I'm expecting a penalty, but the ref's not calling anything. Now this player who entered in from the side, he also binds my head into a headlock. So... If you can imagine, he, kind of, he comes in um, at a perpendicular angle to where I'm driving on my left side. and With his left arm, he torques my head down, kind of pinning my chin down to my chest. Now, normally in rugby, this is an automatic yellow or red card. That's an immediate suspension from the game. But the ref, you know, who knows, doesn't see it. He certainly doesn't call it. Uh, two more players enter in from the side of the mall. Yeah. Penalty, penalty. Another player comes in and he chops me down by my legs, which is another penalty. So I start falling. And as I'm falling, this player who had me bound in the headlock, he improves his mind. He torques down with his arms. So I'm trying to lift my head up. I can't do it. And I just remember I closed my eyes, I gripped my teeth, and then I felt this god-awful crunch in my neck. And then it was just like, poof. I couldn't feel anything. I could not move anything. Immediately, I knew that my life had forever changed. I knew I broke my neck. I knew just how catastrophic this was. And immediately, terror just rushed over my body. I mean, it's kind of hard to explain that feeling and you can just feel it in your bones. When you're, I was thinking the, this is the terrors of the earth that I am experiencing right now. And there is. No escaping this. This is a nightmare that I will never be able to wake up from. And my thoughts just ran wild. I was thinking, Am I ever going to be able to play rugby again? The thing that makes me feel most alive. Am I ever going to be able to go back to school and get my degree and just see my friends and walk across the stage and have a good career and you know maybe one day meet a girl and get married and start a family. I started thinking, more importantly, am I ever going to be able to feed myself again or even walk? I mean, my face was in the dirt. I couldn't move anything. I could barely breathe. And my trainers and my doctors rushed over just trying to assess the whole situation. And they're saying, Robert, you know, can you feel this? Robert, can you move anything? And my answer was just no. No, I, I can't move anything. I can't feel anything uh, below my neck. So they structured me off the field. One thing I'll never forget is you know when um, an injured player gets just taken off the field uh, during any sort of sporting event, it's often that they'll give the crowd a thumbs up, you know, whether they're doing okay or they're not doing okay. They're gonna say, you know, I'm, I'm gonna get through this. and um, I remember so badly. I just wanted to put my thumb up, and you know, people were asking me, Robert, like, Robert, can you give us a thumbs up? I was trying as hard as I could. I couldn't do anything, and I could just, I could say, you know, to the people asking, I just no, I, I can't do it. So after I'm structured off the field to get rushed over to the hospital in Santa Clara, um, they do a series of medical imaging, x-ray, CT scans, MRI, and um, I'm kind of optimistically hoping, okay, maybe this is just some kind of stinger. Maybe this is something where I'm just going to, I'm just going to like slowly start to regain my movement and my sensation. I'm, I'm praying as desperately as I've ever prayed before that, that this is what the doctor's going to come in and tell me. And he walks in the room and he's got that look on his face. You can kind of already tell that's not going to be good news. And he says, very matter of factly, um, Robert, your injury is severe. It, um, it is very bad. And the reality is that you will never walk again. You will never move your hands. And we're going to do our best so you can do something like pick up a piece of pizza and then bring it to your face. And if you can do that, then you made it, and you beat all the odds. And now he doesn't stop there. He recommends surgery to me, a spinal fusion surgery that would be operated on through the front of my neck. Uh, He explains that the disc in between my C5-6 vertebrae ruptured into my spinal cord. I also have fracturing on my C5 and my C6 vertebrae. The damage that was done to my spinal cord might only continue to progress unless we... Stabilize this region and fuse it, uh, which is essentially permanently casting that region um, through surgery. And then he says, "But <laughs> there's always got to be some kind of butt, right? It's a potentially life-threatening surgery. So now we're on a real estate podcast here. You want to talk about real estate? I mean, the front of a neck. I mean, this is this is a very um, very important area. Uh, if you're just a little bit off, I mean, things can get bad really quick." Um, And he said, I had about 30 minutes to make my decision on if I wanted to go into this surgery or not. And he told me I could make some phone calls. So the first phone call I made was to my religious advisor. Um, In this moment, I was scared. I didn't know what to think. I needed God. I needed prayers. So I called him up and he answers. And I tell him about what happened, this horrible prognosis, just what's ahead of me and just asking for some advice and some prayers and Thank goodness I made that call because the advice he gave me on that day, it gave me so much power in what felt like a powerless situation. It just carried me ever since. And he said, Robert, throughout this journey, there's going to be a lot of things that you just can't control. But the one thing you have control over is your mindset. So your positivity, your ambition, your willingness to wake up every day and accept this challenge is up to you. And this injury can't take that away from you. So in that moment, I didn't have a lot. I didn't have the odds on my side. I didn't have some doctor saying that everything was going to be okay or signs of life showing up in my body. But I had my mindset. I had that decision to keep moving forward, to do what I know is best for me, to lock out all those emotions and all the turmoil in that room and just focus on what's the next most important thing for me to be doing right now and that's a lesson right there control your mindset that's so powerful each and every one of us because there's so many uncontrollable factors we have in our lives i certainly couldn't control what happened to me and i couldn't control how my body was going to respond um but i could control my mindset and and when i think of that in a real estate perspective i think it's incredibly applicable because real estate is one of these industries where there's Always a challenge, no matter where the market is. Um, you know, as we were talking, um, Anthony said in the mark, market's kind of shifting right now. Um, interest rates are are reaching highs that we haven't seen for for a while. But it's difficult on buyers. It's difficult on on agents. But you know, we can look back. I just um, moved over to Roseville and got a house about a year ago, and interest rates were at their lowest. But of course, we all know the challenges. Uh, that were going on then i can't tell you how many times people would come in you know offering a hundred thousand over asking cash and um, my agent and, and i were just like slamming our heads against the wall thinking what's going on here it's, it's a challenge it's difficult there's always something out there that we're not going to be able to control that's going to try try to hold us back but i think it's so important for us to know we always have control over our mindset we can always be optimistic about our future we can we can keep moving forward and i think that takes a mountain of a task and it simplifies it down into one thing and that's just taking a step forward so after i you know received that motivation and that guidance um i decided that i wanted to go into the surgery um i couldn't live with the regrets thinking what if i you know if i didn't go into the surgery could i have had more progression so the doctor came back i i uh, gave him my choice to go into this and um I said, okay, well, let's go. So I said my prayers, I said goodbye to my family. I got rolled into the operating room. They put the gas mask over my face. I closed my eyes and, and that concluded May 6th of 2017.
2: Wow. That is really all I, I can say to that. Um, I appreciate yeah. you taking the time to kind of relive that. And I, I'm sure you've done it many, many times, but it's incredibly moving just for us to hear that from you the first time and just the the power and the gravity of what you went through there. And then to get to the point where you made that phone call, and I was really on the edge of my seat waiting to hear what that advice would be. So being given that incredibly powerful advice, which clearly has stuck with you, of uh, Mm-hmm. Con- basically controlling what you can control, control your mindset, get your your head straight to decide how you're going to handle this and and being in that moment and being in that space. How have you mm-hmm. taken that advice, which is priceless and and incredible, how have you applied that to everything that came after May 6th of 2017? How has that guided you through everything else that you've done to get you to this point?
3: Yeah, it, it's helped me in every aspect of my life. Um, uh, certainly from a, a rehabilitation perspective, I had to access that advice um, immediately because once I woke up from that surgery, um, the challenges really started to begin. Um, I couldn't swallow anything, so I couldn't eat or drink for about a month. Um, I lost 60 pounds in that first month, I mean, all those years I put into just building up my size and Strength, it was just gone in a month. Uh, on day two, I contracted pneumonia, uh, which is dangerous for anybody, right? But it was particularly dangerous for me because I couldn't cough. My diaphragm was mostly paralyzed. So, no matter how much strength I would try to muster up to get a good, forceful cough and just clear my lungs so I could breathe, I couldn't do it. Um, we had to have my respiratory therapist, my nurses, even my mom just slammed down on my chest, doing everything I can do move the stuff out of my lungs just so I could breathe. And my doctors told me I might not even survive. Um, but throughout all of that, when there was a, a respiratory therapist coming in at 3 a.m., saying, okay, Robert, it's your, it's your breathing treatment. It's, it's time to go. Um, and I had the decision. Of, you know, Do I refuse this treatment and, and close my eyes so I can get some shut-eye? I mean, with, uh, in between all the medical complications I was dealing with and uh, the, the medical care I was getting, I was only sleeping about two hours a day if you added it all up. Um, and when that person came in and asked, you know, Robert, um, it's time for your treatment. Um, I desperately, desperately wanted to say, no, Just can I please just sleep, please? Um, I couldn't say that um, because um, I knew I knew that that could lead to, lead to very dire consequences. I mean, it felt like death was with me in that room just waiting for me to quit. Um, but it was, it was always my decision. Right? And I was like, yes, I'm going to do this. I know that this is what's good for me. Um, I know I want to get better. I want to I not just live, but fly." And in order to get to that point right now, I got to do some of the dirty work. I got to do these breathing treatments. I got to get a tube up my nose and down to my stomach. I mean, these really difficult things that challenge my mindset. Um, I just had to simplify it, take it from this mountain of a path and just boil it down into one thing. Um, just focusing on that immediate fact um, that I needed, I needed to complete. And um, so, you know, that got me through that initial rehabilitation phase, um, you know, but I'll, you know, I'll fast forward a little bit and <laughs> give a couple spoilers into my, into my story. Um, you know, I was able to return back to UC Berkeley and I graduated in May of 2020 to, to get my degree from the of business and, um, I certainly have to, con- you have to use that same principle of control my mindset, um, in school Whenever you know, it's finals week and there's long hours of, of studying and you're thinking, okay, do I kind of, I know it'd be best for me to wake up a little earlier or go, go to bed a little later and, and put in some more hours studying. Um, but you know, that bed just looks so comfortable. Um, it was, it was a control your mindset type thing. But, um, when it seems like, oh man, I'm just taking on a lot right now. Um, to just again try to boil it down um, to a singular decision. To just control your mindset, keep moving forward. Um, it helped me in my rehabilitation. It helped me in school. It helps me in, in the work I do now. Um, it's just uh, it's been a constant prevailing principle that's guided me through my life.
1: Yeah, Robert, what you've just shared is so powerful. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times you know I've I've heard the whole thought of, hey, control your mindset, right? This whole idea and the importance of your mindset in life. And I've heard it, you know, I love, you know, self-help books. I read them all. I listen to the podcast. I've heard it for literally decades, right? But I got to tell you, man, this has been by far the most impactful um, version of helping me to understand what that really means to, to control your mindset, because you said something afterwards that really resonated. He said, you know, Hey, in that moment, you got advice to, you know, control the mindset. And then after that, he said, nobody or nothing can take that away from you and i yeah. just felt like that was that was so powerful cuz that is that that's the key for me that kind of unlocked it right it's like nobody can take that away from you no matter what is going on in the market <laughs> you you've talked about something that is you know far more challenging than what a real estate market or something that might be happening you know in business might uh, that, that somebody might see as a challenge and the mindset that's needed to kind of navigate that. And what you're saying is, hey, look, you know, I was in this desperate moment and this is the advice I'm getting and nobody could take that away from me. And you really latched onto that.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Something you just talked about there, Anthony, that I think is, is so important to pair um, with that control your mindset piece. And it's really complimentary. It's just the power of, of perspective. Um, and you were talking about, you know, how, how, you're gaining a greater perspective through hearing me share my experiences and I get that constantly, um, through researching and witnessing and having empathy for the challenges that others go through. And, uh, that's a practice that really, uh, has guided me, uh, throughout my whole life and I really critically needed in that first stage. Um, and even now through just the minutiae of the daily challenges of life, um, to always be looking out stories of other people who are enduring great challenges Um, because I think we spend so much time looking up and seeing the people who have you know presumably more than us they're doing the things that we want to be doing and um, you know maybe there's some jealousy there and looking at our situation and thinking woe is me we don't spend any time looking down um, at the people who are in very difficult situations having empathy for our fellow human being um, and not not just getting a sob story out of that because I know that I don't want pity from anybody. I don't want anybody to look at my situation and just feel sorry for me. That's that's not the point of why I share the story. I want people to be inspired. I want them to, to see some of the things that I've lost that they still have in their lives and think of how they would use it because I know that if I was in that situation and I woke up tomorrow and I was completely able-bodied, I would have such an appreciation and gratitude, all those little things in my life. that at one point I kind of looked over because I didn't give this message from others um, quite enough to be able to have that that perspective in my life. Um, But there's this saying that I just keep using um, every, every day pretty much um, when there's something that I'm kind of feel like I'm complaining about, or I feel a little in over my head, I just say, compared to what, you know, this is really difficult what I'm going through right now, but compared to what? Or I'm really tired right now, but compared to what? There's so much that I can do. There's so much that I do have. Um, now that statement compared to what is not meant to dismiss our challenges because I think it's very unhealthy when we dismiss our challenges. It ignores it. It'll never go away. What that statement is meant to do is just put our challenges down into perspective it helps us realize that what we go through is overcomable. And in every moment, there is so much for us to be grateful for because the reality is there are millions of people in this world who would rather be in our situation than their own. And that's a powerful perspective for us to have.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So important. And I, I kind of want to uh, ask you this, this follow up here because you know, you're, mm-hmm. you've, you've shared some, some very personal challenges as a result of the injury i mean literally you know paralyzed ammonia can't swallow can't walk can't cough mm-hmm. i mean you know the amount of challenge that you've had to overcome in that moment and so now kind of shifting into what you do today and mm-hmm. you know public speaking and inspiring and motivating people in life and in business what what do you see paralyzes people in general is there some common threads that you have found and now your, your, your career where people in business and in life oftentimes get paralyzed by certain things and how are you helping, you know, helping them overcome some of those, those challenges?
3: Yeah, I, I love how you say that. Um, and using that word paralysis in that way, it's, um, that word, um, is something that just has a lot of meaning, um, in my life and, and really all in all of our lives. Um, because I am paralyzed physically, um, I continue to deal with that um every day as I as I work on my endeavor to never need to use a wheelchair ever again. But I experience mental paralysis and emotional paralysis. And um we all experiencing we all experience those things in our lives that stop us from being our best. They slow us down. They quote unquote paralyze us. Um, and I've made it my life's mission to share my story of overcoming that mental and emotional paralysis that I face um, along this battle of overcoming my physical paralysis. Um, and I share these tools that have helped me throughout this journey um, to overcome that paralysis I have in my life. Um, there's a plethora of things that can paralyze anybody. Um, when I when I, I ask this, this question, when I go out and I, I give keynote speeches or, you know, I have one-on-one conversations with folks is um, for them to, you know, think about what paralyzes them. Um, I oftentimes don't ask them to answer that question because I want them to be very open and honest and vulnerable, uh, with themselves. Um, a lot of people talk about, um, just lacking a purpose, you know, they kind of, they wake up and they do their job and maybe they don't see how it how it makes a great impact on others. And they just kind of lose the motivation, um, to really strive for something larger in their lives. Um, I talk to people who have a great fear of failure. And uh, you know, sometimes it's hard for them to just jump in to something because they're uh, they're so afraid that it might not go well. That that fear of failing is greater than the hope of success. Um, that's something that that we ought to snap out of. That'll that'll stop us from going and pursuing goals that we want to have in our lives. Um, but I think I think overall, the thing um, that I think we need most in our lives um, is purpose, and uh, that's been a real journey for me to realize my new purpose after having this injury um because that was the greatest thing that was taken away from me when i uh when i broke my neck um because my purpose before my injury was to be a great athlete um it was something i was i was very good at i you know i'd I'd go to bed and i'd be envisioning um my future goals of hopefully being able to play professionally uh, be an all-american rugby player and um, and all, all all along that while to always be a great person, to every everybody to never fit that uh, kind of jock stereotype, but to to always be kind to everybody that I meet, and um, and that was that was my purpose in life. And when I got hurt, um, I wasn't going to play rugby anymore. I was out of the question. I just wanted to be able to to walk to feed myself. Um, my purpose had been lost, and. It was through sharing this story, being really open about the things that I've gone through and sharing these tools to help other people overcome their challenges that I found this purpose. And in the beginning, that was, that was just social media posts um, where we would share my progress, the things that I was going through, um, and my pursuit to never give in and never give up. And it just came in by the tens of thousands from all over the world of people sending me messages talking about the things that they're going through. And how, by witnessing me take on this challenge every day, it's helping them achieve new goals in their life, or to come out of lows that they're experiencing. Um, you know, be it sickness or be it the uh, loss of loved ones or difficulty in their businesses. Um, just by me taking on this challenge to to walk again, to move my body again, um, I was making a profound impact on others' lives in a way that I never would have had if I was just playing rugby. Um, it showed me that there is a purpose in every challenge. And if we decide to take that on, um, we can do great things. And I'll tell you this one story along this line, um, because this is where the real shift happened for me. Um, because initially in overcoming this challenge, I just wanted to walk and get better for myself. It was a selfish desire that motivated me. And, um, I got this message and for some context, I used to coach youth rugby camps, um, back in my high school when I was playing rugby at Cal. I'd come back in the summers and I'd coach kids. who would the age range, probably like 10 to 14 years old. And there was this one camper there whose name was Talon. And Talon was one of the smaller kids out there on the field, but he just played with heart. He was kind of like a Rudy type. And I remember I would give him the ball and I'd pick him up and kind of bob and weave in between these other 13 year olds. So he could go score. Uh, we shared this real bond and around the time, of my injury about five days later, that um, my dad showed me a picture on his phone of someone who was clearly fighting for his life, and I didn't recognize. It was this little kid laying in a chair. Um, he's got very, like, white, pale skin. His hair is white and thin. He's just skin and bones, but he's got a smile on his face. And my dad tells me this kid is Talon, the person who I met at this camp, and Talon is fighting stage four cancer. And as a part of this message uh, or the the picture that his mom wrote a caption, and it read along the lines of "Town wanted so badly to be at the prayer service that was being hosted a Jesuit um, on that day to pray for me, but had to be undergoing chemotherapy." And he's wearing his Jesuit rugby shirt that the program gifted him in his first round of chemo. And um, I inspired him through that camp to want to go play rugby um, when he beats. This cancer and the message goes further. It says this line that is just seared into my soul and it's changed my life ever since. Um, it said, stay strong and keep smiling, Robert. Your strength helps town stay strong too. And when my dad read that out loud to me, tears just started coming down my face because I realized that overcoming this injury is not about me. It's not about me just going from point A to point B on my feet or just feeding myself or going back to school. It's about inspiring some of my talent. It's about inspiring those tens of thousands of people that were sending me messages. I have been at this injury, but now I'm on day nineteen hundred and twenty two since May sixth of two thousand seventeen. I haven't quit. I just I continue to move forward, not for the pleasure of going from point A to point B on my feet, but because of this selfless commitment to others. And I think when we live that life of purpose, that selfless life of purpose, then all those things that paralyze us in our lives start to vanish. We get up earlier because we're doing it for someone else. We we remain optimistic because we're doing it for someone else. We're not letting ourselves down. We'd be letting somebody else down. And um, that's what keeps me going through my injury. It will keep me going uh, for the rest of my life. And I think that's something we all need, a selfless commitment um, to others to, to per- persevere through any challenges that we face in our lives.
2: That story is so powerful too, to hear mm. how others are inspired by how we all live our lives. And I think it's a really mm-hmm. an important thing to remember is that, we don't know even you know those of us who have been fortunate enough not to have been faced with as many challenges but we never know who we might inspire by doing things in our day by trying harder by not giving up by continuing to fight whatever challenge any of us may be going through i think that's a really good lesson for us all to remember is that you you can be inspiring others and you may not know who they are they may not be sending you messages but That's, Uh that's wow. Just to hear that from him. Um, I I have one other question for you that I really wanted Uh to ask because you talk about finding your purpose and obviously Uh earlier in your life, you thought your purpose was one thing where, and it was at that time, but it, it changed and how many people out there are probably a little aimless in not having a purpose. So I'm curious for a person who's out there, who's listening, who doesn't feel like they have a direction or they have a purpose or a reason for doing what they're doing, how would you give them advice? Because you were able to shift your purpose from one thing, realizing that now you have a new purpose. What advice would you give that person to be able to find or to shift or to look for their purpose in life to find that meaning for them?
3: Yeah, I, I think two things I think one you have to be passionate about it deeply deeply passionate about it and um, it has to be it has to be rooted in a selfless commitment to other people um, for me I mean I had done like community service uh, before my injury um, it was something that we did at, at Jesuit high school and where I went to K through eight is you know we'd, we'd interact with others um, who were less fortunate than us you know people homeless people or um these people going through really tough situations and um and we'd go out and and we'd help distribute food and clothing and just just anything to make their lives just a little bit more comfortable um so i was kind of you know rooted in that that life of uh service was very much built in into me my foundation and who i wanted to be just as a man of character and um but certainly did never expect um really an opportunity like this uh, to present itself for me, and I, you know, I think that's an interesting word. I think a lot of people um, would see what happened to me and, and just view it as a curse. Um, but there was really some opportunities that that were embedded within there to make a greater impact on the lives of others. Um, I was very passionate about helping other people. Um, you know, selfishly, selfishly, when I would sit back and I would read through the messages that people were sending me you know, just saying, "Robert, you're awesome." Robert, you're strong. Robert, you can do this. I believe in you. Um, selfishly, I was getting a lot out of that, um, and understandably as well. Um, it was it was giving me the belief in myself that I needed, being surrounded by a lot of nurses and doctors in that first stage who were giving me a lot of doubt. Um, they were far outweighed by the love and support that I was receiving from others. Um, I became very passionate about it and um eventually once i could i could get on a stage um about a year later uh, the first class i spoke to um or the first audience i ever spoke to was a class in the high school of business um from a professor and a very good friend of mine um his name is Sally bolt um when i came back to cal he's like robert i want i want you to share a story and i want you to talk about um what's helped you overcome these challenges because people look at you they see a person." Um, who has challenges. It's the nature of my adversity. It's visible. Um, but everybody has something they're going through. Most people, we just can't see it. It lies within, but I'm truly a believer that these things that have helped me overcome my visible challenge of paralysis can help others overcome whatever they have in their lives. Um, and once time I gave that speech and they're laughing, they're crying. It's a standing ovation in the end. I go back to my Room and I think I just found, I just found the thing I'm most passionate about. I'm thinking, when is the next time I can go and give this, give a speech and share a story and, and meet people? Um, I just found it, and um, I think that's a lot. A lot of that came from you know that selfless commitment, wanting to make an impact on the lives of others, um, and then uh, and then just experimenting to find something that I'm passionate about. And you know, I I can't tell you how many amazing people. Um, that i've interacted with and has helped me in my life whether that's my friends helping me get outside and access the outdoors or my wonderful therapist that i've had or my gosh even even my real estate real estate agent you know it sounds so funny i kind of you know i talk about a lot of things that seem very life and death and or just you know giving someone quality of life but i can't tell you how passionate my real estate agent was about helping me find find a great home that you know, it was going to be a great place for me for the rest of my life. She's found great purpose um, in her in her job that way. and um, Other people find it through being a great parent or, or a great friend, um, helping strangers. Um, there's, there's a multitude of ways that, I, that finding that purpose can happen. But I'll just return to that, that main point there to wrap it up. It's, you know, number one, something you're passionate about. Number Number two, it's a selfless commitment.
1: That's perfect. That's well said, Robert. I was going to ask you, hey, what are some final thoughts that you can impart uh, with the audience before we wrap up? But I think you just did an amazing job of kind of bringing that back. And so how, how can people find you? How can people get connected with you if they want to hear more about your story or invite you into an event for speaking purposes? How how can people get connected?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I, I would love to connect with anybody who, who is inspired by this. I love the one-on-one conversations, whether that's over text or over social media or, or even a phone call, um, the best way for people to find me is through my website. That's Um I'm on all the social media channels. that kind of got a monopoly on the name Robert Taylor. Um, there's not a lot of palers out there. Uh, <laughs> but it, makes it, it makes it easy for me and it makes it easier for other, others to find me. And, uh, and for people who kind of need that daily dose of motivation or just a little boost into their mental diet, um, some positivity um, in their mindset. I, I post rehab videos every single day on my Instagram stories of, um, of me up and walking and endeavoring to, to get out of my wheelchair permanently one day. So, you know, on the personal one-on-one level, that's, you know, those are all great ways to connect with me. And on the event side of things, um, anybody who, who would like to just ask questions or is interested in having me come in and speak for events and, that's going to be on robertpiller.com. There's just a little form down there on the bottom of the website and I'm speaking real as well to, um, to kind of get the essence of this message. Um, but, uh um, I mean any opportunity and all opportunity I have to connect with everybody, I really appreciate it because, um, like I've said, it is, it is the purpose of my life. Um, so definitely don't hesitate to reach out. Um, you might, you might even regret it hearing from me and, and me rant on <laughs> about about my story, just overcoming challenges because I just I love it so
2: much. Well we appreciate your time today, your openness, the vulnerability, and really the the ideas that you shared with us of changing your mindset. And I love the idea, the the phrase of compared to what. I feel like that may, mm. that may be something that we enter into our our vocabulary here at the Juggernaut podcast. And thank you to all of our listeners for joining us for this episode of the Juggernaut podcast. Anthony, any final words for our audience?
1: I just want to, uh, again, just echo the thanks and the gratitude, Robert. It's been an absolute privilege to get to hear from you today. And thank you so much for just sharing your story and just being open and uh, sharing some great thoughts of inspiration and certainly motivation. I'm pretty pretty fired up right now. So thank you. (laughs) Me
3: as well. All my gratitude goes to both of you. This is so much fun.
2: All right. Well, thank you so much. And we will catch everybody on the next episode of the Juggernaut podcast. Thanks, everyone.
0: Thank you for joining us and listening to the Juggernaut podcast. Our vision is truly to inspire our listeners to become an unstoppable force, not only in business, but also in life to develop that Juggernaut mindset that will embrace conflict, overcome adversity and influence positive impact in the communities we live, work and serve it is time to awaken the juggernaut in us all. We look forward to bringing you another inspiring episode next month on the third Wednesday right here on the Juggernaut Podcast. Until then, take care and continue to be unstoppable.